Yesterday afternoon, I was driving the car, having taken some more garden rubbish to the tip at Burgess Hill, because uh, my wife's been clearing out some of the, uh, the stuff in there to get some more plants in. And I had the radio on, and it was on Radio 4, and there was a play that was based on the events following the assassination of John F. Kennedy. His death is often talked about as one of those occasions when the surprising news sort of strikes a mark in people's lives and they know where they were when they heard about it, when they saw it or, or heard of it. And I guess for many of you, that might be the case, that you know where you were. It's not the case for me, because I wasn't born then. <laughs> and so although I know of JFK, and I've seen things through the years and seen reports of his assassination. I don't know when I first heard it. It's just one of those bits of stories that I've picked up, an event that's happened in life. There are other events that I do have memories of the startling news. Ten years ago, the London bombings. Before that, I was at college training for the ministry when I heard the news of 9-11, the incident with the planes crashing into the Twin Towers in New York. And before that, as a teenager, uh, hearing of the Lockerbie plane crash, Lockerbie being the place where I went and did my sixth year at school. So there was a tying up there and uh, striking the story deep into me, remembering what I was doing, how I shared the news, what happened that day. Sometimes happy events similarly strike us. I can remember what I was doing at the time that I decided to propose to my wife, Emily. I was washing the dishes. <laughs> in my house in Manchester, and she was in Kent. So, there was a bit of separation there, but I have this memory of what I was doing that day. I have a memory of my son Noah being about an hour or two old and me putting the first vest onto him, the first piece of clothing, and being terrified that as I moved his arm up to try and shove it through the armhole, 
that I would do some incredible damage that he would have to live with for the rest of his life. I have a memory of the night that my daughter Faith was born in our home in Northampton, in the manse. And the midwife's asking for more towels, which had this, uh, the whole evening had a bit of a sort of carry-on theme to it, you know, just in the way that the night played out. We remember unique events very well, but maybe not what we did a month ago unless it was a special day, or two months ago, or three months ago. We might remember something from 40, 50, 60 years ago, but not something a bit closer to us, unless there's been something that's actually said, that's it. And it becomes a fixed memory. About 3,500 years ago, there was a day that struck a very fixed memory into Moses' mind. By the account that we have in Exodus 3, Moses remembers each detail of what came to pass. He remembers where he was walking and how he saw a sight. He remembers approaching and thinking the thoughts that he did. He remembers the voice and being told to take off his shoes. He was in a holy place. And he remembers each phrase, each word. And also there's an element of his fear about being in the presence of God. And as we read this, we see it as the call of Moses to lead God's people out of Egypt and into the wilderness towards the promised land. But of course, it's not a passage about Moses. It's a passage about God. It's about who God is and his character, even more than it is about Moses. God tells Moses that he has seen the misery and heard the cries. God is concerned for the people and that he is coming to the children of Israel. It's not just Moses that's being sent to go and lead the people. God is coming among them. Now, of course, God we think of as being omnipresent. He is everywhere and at all times is everywhere. He sees what is good and right and just and sees what is corrupt and evil and unjust. 
He bears witness to it all. He is everywhere. But to say that he is coming means that his action is coming. His change is coming. And it will be a change that will happen God's way. Moses had observed himself how the slaves were treated. But his response to witnessing the beating of a Hebrew was to kill an Egyptian. And that had been wrong. The focus of God's response is not the death of the Egyptians, though some do die as part of the rescue plan. But the plan is to remove the Hebrews, to remove the children of Israel from Egypt, thereby ending their slavery and fulfilling the promise to Abraham that his children will live in the land that was shown. The process of the rescue will involve many miracles. Plague miracles to encourage the Pharaoh to let God's people go. And God says this to Moses, that there will be signs and wonders that will be happening. Otherwise, the king won't allow the freedom to come. There will be a miracle to help the people escape, the parting of the Red Sea. There will be a guiding cloud of fire, God's presence with them, leading the way. And of course there will be provision of food and water on what turns out to be a long wilderness walk. God will meet the needs on this journey. And will set hearts of Egyptians so that they are favourable at times, maybe unfavourable at other times. Yet much of what has to be done requires people to act. It requires Moses and Aaron. It requires everyone to think about how they will celebrate a Passover meal, how they will share, how they will journey together as one. And this is still how God meets need in the world. Although he can use miracles to address particular situations at particular times, he also calls forth individuals and equips them for the job that they must do. He blesses them with gifts. He might give them the gift of stewardship of resources and enable them to become the director of a huge international charity, maybe like Tear Fund or World Vision. God might 
equip another person with compassion and the desire to be a nurse and lead them in that role. And to another, he helps them serve with encouragement to others in a youth club. And we might not even at times notice that this is happening. But we should take it into our consideration. Because God sees and hears and identifies the need and equips people to meet the need. He brings people forward to serve his purpose because he is a loving and compassionate God. Moses is to lead the people from slavery and oppression to a good and spacious land, a land of milk and honey. And the journey is to be by the way of Mount Horeb. If you're following in the the NIV, when it comes to a point where God says, you will worship me here. You will. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And in some Bibles, there's a little marker next to the you. And it says this is plural. It's not that Moses will worship there. It's that God's people will worship there together. So there's a sense of this journey from the place of oppression through a place and a time of worship to the land of milk and honey. Sounds good, doesn't it? And they'll be taking this gold with them, gold and silver, that the Egyptians will willingly give to them. Perhaps that's gold and silver that can be used to worship God in this special place. We might remember how the gold that everybody was wearing actually does get used on that journey when Moses goes up the mountain and everything gets melted down to form a golden calf God gives people a promise that they will go from the place of suffering to the place of delight and that it will be by his route That route is sometimes quick and it's sometimes long. But it is God's path. Horeb, here talked of at the start of the passage as being the mountain of God, is where there will be worship. But that title, Mountain of God, is something that's probably added after this event. After a time 
where Moses has encountered him. Because Horeb actually means that it's a desolate place. Moses has been in the wilderness with his sheep. And this is maybe even a more desolate place. There's nothing much there. Normally, Horeb would have been a place where there was no hope. Probably, if the shepherd Moses had seen a big bush, even if it wasn't on fire, but not being consumed, he would have still approached it. For that bush being there in itself is an astonishing sight. It's unusual in the wilderness. But where there is no hope, where there is no other way forward, where there is no sign of life, when we are in our deepest, darkest need, we must remember that the mountain of God is present and comes into the place of need and the people of need. When the Israelites travel through the desert, it is the rock of Horeb, the rock of the wilderness, which is struck to provide the stream of water to refresh them and give them life. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, we hear of Horeb, and we also sometimes hear of Sinai, Mount Sinai. And Sinai means the bush of the Lord, so the two names can be a little bit interchangeable. Horeb is not only the place where he says that he has seen the need to free his people, and so called Moses, where he hears the petitions of dryness in the desert and so gives the water. But it's also where he looks into the future and sees what the people need. It is the place where he provides the Ten Commandments. The commandments of the law, not given because the Lord is controlling or dominating but because God's people need to understand how to live with God. And they need to understand who God is and why he wants them to do certain things so that we can be his people. And it is because God... Our living Heavenly Father sees need, the needs that we still have today, that He continues to come. He continues to come to us by His Spirit and came to us by Jesus, His Son. 
We cannot travel the difficult journey without him. We cannot be the people that we need to be without what his son Jesus did on the cross. We cannot be forgiven without the fact that God has provided for that need to be met. In all things, God sees what the need is. He hears our cries. And he stretches out a means that the need will be met. Sometimes the path is difficult. Sometimes there is pain. Sometimes it doesn't go the way that we hope or expect. But God sets a path before us. He gives us hope and does allow a journey to the promised land. Amen.